Thank you for the reading of the word, for the music. I, I was just listening to the different scripture readings that we had this morning and, and, and what Ralph said about the psalm with the, his mercy endures forever and what the, um, in, in reading that the whole creation is eagerly awaiting the redemption of the sons of God and then the do not worry, do not be anxious because of God being in charge of things and just the, the beauty of what is in scripture and I, I want to keep that in mind today as we look at Ephesians chapter 6. And I'm specifically today, as we've gone through and we've looked at each piece of the armor of God, what I realized when we came to this one, because I have, we have Ephesians 6 verse 17. And it says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, in all of our, when I was talking about each of the other pieces, one of the things that I kept noticing and feeling is the recurring theme that we circle back around. It's like the quote we had from the early church father at the beginning where we said to say, take on the whole armor of God is one and the same as saying, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I've noticed as we come through each one is how every one of them in some way points back to the word of God and says, apply the word to your life. When we talked about our, our minds, when we talk, every piece of it is in some way, when we talked about faith, the shield of faith, we said faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So we had every one of these keeps turning us back to the word of God. And so as, as I've been going through these, what I continually realize is that I am able to give one perspective, one um, small look at each of the elements of the armor of God at the spiritual battle in general that we're facing. And there are other perspectives and aspects, but I don't want to spend the rest of the year here looking at this particular one. And so today I, I am treating the sword of the spirit in a different way than I have the others. And what I have prepared for you is a parable. And so as we consider the word of God, as we consider the, 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 the sword of the spirit, as we consider even this morning our own experience in hearing the word of God and what we, what we felt and how that was, I want to share this with you. In a small village on the outside of the foothills, every man, woman, and child above a certain age carried a sword. The king of this land had brought the sword, and the city, the, the village fathers, continued the tradition that as a child became of a certain age, he was given his own sword, he was taught to use his sword. And it was required of them all that they wore their swords at all times. In the foothills and beyond the foothills, there were unknown dangers. The, the highways that ran past the village carried all manner of folk. And so it was important 
And the village fathers would speak to the, to the rest of the village and explain it is important to at all times be prepared, at all times to be ready. And so they had gatherings where they would come together and they would speak to each other about the swords and, the, and how to work their sword. And, and they would have these encouragements and these contests and they would speak of their sword. And then there were groups of them that would go with representatives of the king beyond the foothills to the west. And, and, and they would take to other villages where there were no swords. They would take the swords and they would train those there on the use of the sword. And it, on those journeys, when they would leave and go to those places, it is true that many times they would come back and the young people that went on these journeys would say, I've never gotten to use my sword for real the way I got to use it beyond the foothills just then. And there was excitement in the village. But one day, in the village square, a dark stranger appeared, and he said something that shook the little village. He asked a few of those who were standing in the village, he said, when was the last time that someone actually attacked the village? When was there actually something from the foothills that came out against the village and you had to defend yourself with your sword? And they looked at each other, those who were gathering, and they had never thought of this question before. And so they were trying to remember. One of them remembered studying history of a, of a time in the past when he was pretty sure that some of the, church, some of the, some of the uh, attacks that had come had been within the living memory of some of those who lived within the village at this time. But they couldn't remember how long it had actually been since there had been an attack on the village. And then this dark stranger said something that made the hair on their arms stand on edge with the thrill of it. He said, I don't think you need to carry the sword. And suddenly they looked and they saw he was not wearing a sword. He says, I think that we have come to such a time of freedom and such a time of prosperity and peace that the swords are altogether useless. They're a leftover from something that in the past might have been useful. But now we live in a new age of freedom. We no longer need these swords. And those that were standing there in the village square with him, they, they were suddenly very aware how big and cumbersome their swords were. And that when they, everywhere they went, their, their, their sword kept getting in their way and, and banging into things. And a few of them wished that they too could say with boldness, we don't need the swords anymore, and take them off, as the dark stranger had. For he was not wearing a sword. And as the days went by, there was more talk, and some of the idle fellows feeling the thrill of something new and of freedom that they could only speak of, decided to try it. And so on the first days, a few of them left their swords right inside their house because they had been trained that 
danger could come at any moment and so they left them where they could easily get to them if necessary and they walked out into the village square without their swords. And it was truly thrilling and it was true. The sword was not crashing into the bushes and clanging into things and it was much easier to walk unhindered without the sword. And so these few bold fellows began to spend time with the dark stranger and to say to the others that were coming through, look, we are in a time of peace and prosperity. We're in a time of freedom. We do not need the sword. The sword is unnecessary. The sword is a vestige of our long distant past. And then one day, the dark stranger said things that set their mind to thinking and they began to talk amongst themselves and they, were, they said, you know, I think it's true. It is possible that there never were any dangers in the foothills. It is possible that there never were anybody, anybody on the byways that was trying to harm us. It is possible that the village fathers are just saying this because they don't actually like us and they want to encumber us and they want to control us. And the village fathers were aware that something was happening down in the village square, but they were busy. They were busy about the things that village fathers do and they were busy and, and they all carried their own swords and they thought we will, if, it'll go away eventually. And time went by and, and then it was time to address the situation because more and more of the village folk were leaving their swords at home and were walking around because they discovered that it was much easier to walk. It was much easier to play the games in the village green. It was much easier to attend the dances if you didn't have a sword encumbering you at all times. And so the village fathers made a statement and they released it. They said, it is important for us to wear the sword at all times. There are dangers that we do not know when they will be coming upon us. They may come from within, they may come from without. We do not know where the dangers will come from. And the dark stranger hearing the words that there may be dangers from within suggested to a few of the bold idle fellows that were with him that perhaps the church fathers, the church fathers, perhaps the village fathers knew something that the, they did not know. If they thought that perhaps there was a danger from within, is it possible that the village fathers themselves had some wicked design and that they were trying to bring their own danger just to prove that it was necessary to carry a sword? And so the thought was carried abroad and there was much, and, and by now, one of the freedoms that they had found was they were free when someone came into the village square. They were free to walk up and say, what are you carrying this vestige of the past? Why are you carrying it? And there was much laughter and scornful mocking of people. And there was such freedom those days in the village square to say whatever one pleased to say. And so they spoke many things and people would come through the village square with, one day there was a young maiden and her brother and they were walking through. They had, they had only in recent years obtained their own sword and they had practiced diligently and they had their swords with them and the young maiden had baked some cakes to take to her grandmother on the other side of the village and as they were hurrying through the village square, suddenly the dark stranger saw them and said, who, who goes here? What are you doing? And, and the, the, the bold fellows came around and said, why, why are you still carrying the sword? And they laughed at them. Don't you know that that's heavy and it's unnecessary? We live in a time of peace. We live in a time of freedom. Why are you wearing this still? 
And the dark stranger said, what do you have in the basket and where are you going? And she said, well, I baked some cakes for my grandmother. And the dark stranger said, well, it, it would, don't you think it might be better for you if you, um, instead of just making your, dark, your cakes for your grandmother, you should share for the good of all, for the good of the community, and I would like to have some of your dark cakes. Uh, dark cakes, your sweet cakes. Dark stranger, sweet cakes. <coughs> The young man, her brother, he, he wanted to defend himself, but he was being mocked so much for his sword that he didn't quite know what to do with it. And so he and his sister hurried out the other side and they thought, we won't go back in there again. Well then, another murmur came from the village square. The village fathers were still busy. They were doing the things that they were busy about. They were making sure their own swords were, were there where everyone could see them. And the representatives of the king were still traveling beyond the foothills and there were still small groups from within the village that were going with them and coming back and speaking. But it was as, as, as something strange had happened because in the village itself, those who still wore their swords felt that they needed to apologize to those who did not wear their swords. And they kept being very self-conscious at the noise that their swords would make and at the, the clanking as they, as they walked around and, and they would apologize, I'm sorry, I, you know, and, and they would be mocked and asked, why do you still wear, well, uh, you know, my father, he's, he's one of the village fathers and he, I, you know, I want to honor him and, uh, you know, if, if, if something should happen to him where he was no longer here, then I, I don't think I would wear this because I, I agree with you that you have a, you know, that we are in a new time of freedom and that we are in a new time of, of and so it became common for those who wore the sword to feel somewhat sheepish about it and to try to hide it. But there came a day when the dark stranger, observing someone scurrying through, trying to hide their sword, looked at the bold fellows around him and he said something that caused even more stirring. He said, I, I don't believe in swords. And the bold fellows looked because they heard something that to them sounded like something exhilarating, something in the way he said it caused them to want to not be able to, they wanted to not believe in the sword. And so they looked at the swords that were being taken around and they looked at the dark stranger, but he said with such confidence, I don't believe in swords, that some of them said, well, I would like to. So a few of them tried it. They tried the words. They said, I, I don't believe in swords either. And then it became quite handy. The, the young maiden came through on her way to bring uh, cakes to her grandmother. And, and the dark stranger said, I want those cakes. And as he went to get them, her brother put his hand on his sword as if to draw it. And the others around him laughed and said, it won't work, he doesn't believe in swords. And the young man was confused. And they laughed at him and said, yes, it's, it's useless here. We don't believe in the sword. And that day, the dark stranger took quite a few of the cakes 
And from that day forward, the young maiden and her brother tried to find alternate routes. They would go outside the village and find other ways to go to their grandmother's house with the cakes to try to avoid the village square. And things had come to such a pass that some of the village fathers themselves were discussing whether or not the sword was really necessary. They knew that it had been a strong tradition and they had continued to pass this on, but was it very necessary really to give every man, woman, and child a sword that might actually hurt themselves? And might it not be better to just give a, a perhaps a decorative sword that someone could put on their wall or on their mantle to show that this was a city that had a strong tradition of the sword, but that wasn't really the burden of a sword to take with them. And so some of the young people, as they came of age, as the rite of passage, instead of receiving a real sword, they received a, a gift sword, so to speak. And a few of the village fathers were thinking it, it really is important, though, that we carry the sword but they were struggling to remember why and they were struggling to remember the battles. And there were moments when some of them would say, but it's, I remember when the attack came and we all drew our swords together and we stood together in unity and we defended our village. I remember that day. But then the reality would sink in as they stepped outside and the village square was full of these people not wearing swords, not caring, mocking those who did. There were still a few that would travel with the representatives of the king beyond the foothills. And the day came when almost no one in the village was carrying the sword. And many in the village said they did not believe in the sword and many of those who said they did not believe in the sword had to hide their own swords in deep, dark recesses of their houses to try to not see them because they didn't believe in them. And then, by mistake, the young maiden and her brother are walking through the village square again with the cakes. And the dark stranger has had enough and he says, you, why are you always baking these cakes for some little old woman over there? You should be baking these cakes for all of us, for the public good. And everyone said, here, here. And the, the dark stranger went so far as to lay his hands on the girl and begin to draw her toward his house, where he said, you shall bake the cakes for me here. And the young man wanted to draw his sword but he had long been laughed into timidity. The, the, the uproar that was being caused, however, caught the attention of the village fathers who came over and they stood and they stopped the, the dark stranger and they said, what is it, what is happening here? And he explained to all that would hear how this young maiden made excellent sweet cakes and it would be better if these were available to everyone instead of just to some granny over there on the other side and so he, he was explaining and, and, the, and the, the crowd was saying, yes, yes, we, this is true. Something didn't seem right to the village fathers about this and yet it was some confusion for them and they were trying to understand and one of them stepped forward and sort of halfway pulled his sword that he had not pulled in many days but he halfway pulled it and the youngsters around him laughed and said it won't work he doesn't believe in the sword. Oh yes, thought the village father, it's true. He doesn't believe in the sword. And he was left standing there. And, he, and then 
the, the, one of the other village fathers tried to make a defense and to speak, and it was it, somewhere in the back of their minds, they remembered a day when they would speak with authority and the people would listen, and today was not that day, and the authority, they, they were confused, and it was in that moment that one of the representatives of the king pushed his way forward. He'd been riding by and he'd heard the noise and he came into the middle and he was not just wearing a sword, he was wearing the full armor. He had on his head the helmet, he had the full armor. And the village fathers looked at him and they remembered the days when they would wear that full armor. And the man spoke with authority and he said, what is the situation here? And the dark stranger looking started to explain to him how in this village they were in a time of prosperity and peace and how in this village they no longer needed the encumberments of the armor and the sword and so therefore they had come to a time of peace that they wanted to share the prosperity with all and that he was taking this young maiden to bake cakes in his house for everyone in the village square for the benefit of all. And it was in that moment that as all of the bold young men began to speak and affirm and chatter about the fact that he didn't believe in the sword and all of these things, that the, the, the representative of the king drew his sword. And the bold stranger, as he had been walking, making off, dragging the girl behind him, when he heard the sword drawn, he paused for a second. And he looked around him and the other, his fellows that had been with him all these days, laughed and told the representative, they said, we here, we do not actually believe in the sword, and so therefore, your sword is useless. And the bold stranger laughed and turned as if to continue when he felt suddenly a very strong prick in his back from the sword of the representative of the king. He says, you will stop in the name of the king, and you will not go any further. And as the king had his sword in the back of the dark stranger, some of the village fathers drew their swords. And the young man, the maiden sister, drew, brother, drew his sword. And when the, the dark stranger turned, he was looking into a whole battery of swords. And the representative of the king spoke with authority and said, let go of the young maiden, put it up your hands, and then he looked at the village fathers and said, we must put this one in prison for he has broken one of the laws of the king and making a slave of another. And those who stood by, who only a moment ago were speaking so calm, confidently about not believing in swords, suddenly saw the dark stranger responding to the sword and being led away and being put in a dungeon. And one of the village fathers again stood. And as he stood with his sword drawn, addressing the village, the old authority came back and he began to speak to them about the importance of always having their sword with them. And many in that moment were scurrying away, looking for their own swords to bring them back and to wear them. And as the representative of the king 
mounted his horse and was about to ride away, he turned back to the village fathers and he said, men, you have been given responsibility here in this village and remember that the people who come here do not have to believe in the sword to validate its effectiveness. The sword itself has a power given it by the king and if you draw it and you will use it, your subjects will not have to believe in it in order for it to work. And he rode away and the village fathers again instituted and they replaced a bunch of fake swords that they had given out to some of the youngsters and they again began meeting on a weekly basis to speak of the sword and the use of the sword and they were again prepared to do battle and it was in those days that they again experienced peace and prosperity and those who went by on the village when the robbers and the dark strangers went by on, on the highways outside, they marked that village and said there is no use for us to enter this one because there is nothing here for us and they hurried on their way. And that village began to send many representatives along with beyond the foothills and it was there and they rejoiced when they returned. They said, I do not have to only draw my sword on the far side of the foothills, but I can right here in my own home and in my own village, I can draw the sword and it is of such efficiency and effectiveness as it is on the other side. And there was a time of peace for the village. The Hebrews verse. In Hebrews chapter four, I have three verses here. Verse 11 says, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Friends, we have been given a sword by the king and the power of the sword is not in the fact that others believe it is powerful. The power of the sword is that the word of God has been given to us and it is truly a living word of God and it is to be applied to all of our life. And there is yet one more thought that I had that I wanted to explain. And again, perhaps a story from the village might help. In the days following the restoration of the sword to the village, there was much zeal and one of the bold young fellows that had spent much time with the dark stranger became very convinced of the, the effectiveness of the sword. And so he began to use his sword in all manner of ways that they had not trained for it to be done. In the games that they played, he always did it with a drawn sword. When he was eating food, he always did it with a drawn sword. When he went to the marketplace, he always did it with a drawn sword. Everywhere he went, he did everything with a drawn sword. And the village doctor eventually comes, came to the church to the village fathers and said, something must be done. This young man is being very careless with his sword and he is hurting many people with this sword. In so far as to say that when they're playing games, he chooses to win the games not by skill, but by application of his sword. And so the village fathers again called together the village and said there is a purpose for the sword. 
And the purpose of the sword is to bring freedom first to yourself, then to those you love, and then to those that depend on you. But the purpose of the sword is not for you to bring your ruling power over anyone else. And for you to wield the sword is not so that you can control someone else. And in our village, we are all responsible to the king and we are subject to him, but we're not subject to each other. And so be careful how you apply your swords in your zeal that you are not using them to attempt to gain control for yourself. And in the same way, when I talk about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, I find that we have been given a gift here. We've been given the full armor of God. We are in a battle. We have been come. There are those around us who would say there is no battle. There are those around us who would say that the word of God is for a time past, and yet we've been given this word for now, for this time, for this season, and it is still powerful, and it is still strong, and there is something to be said, for instance, this morning, for us to just simply read the word of God And not even to have to explain it to us, but we read the word of God together. And the spirit of God is alive and he is quickening the word in us so that each one of us individually as we're hearing it, we can apply it to us. But we've been given this sword of the spirit. Not so that we can say, look at me, I am a better warrior than you. Not so that I can say, I have mastered my sword, therefore you must follow and obey and listen to me. But we've been given the sword to help bring freedom to ourselves and to those around us. There is an enemy that we have and it is not people. We've been given, we, in, in Ephesians 6, it says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We have an enemy, but it is not other people. And so if you find yourself wielding the sword, hoping to defeat another person, that is not the proper use of the sword. The sword is to be used to correct error in someone else, but it is not to be used to destroy someone else. And so as we talk about the whole armor of God and we talk about the word of God, right now in America, we have lived in a time of peace and prosperity in so much that many people have forgotten the purpose of the word of God. There are people, and you will find them now boldly proclaiming that the word of God promises all kinds of good, comfortable things to us with require very small requirements from us. And these, much of the challenges that we will face, that our children will face here in America, have to do with two entirely different things. On one hand side is people who say, we no longer need the word of God. On the other hand of side, we have people who say the word of God was created just for you to give you the things you want and they misuse that. And also in the shadows, of course, we have people who are trying to use the authority of the word of God to bring other people into subjection to themselves instead of to the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is very, very important that each one of us is carrying our own sword, that we are daily in it and that we allow the word of the Lord to do its own, to do its work in us. And then that we are not afraid or ashamed of this word, but that we find ways to allow the word of God to go forth in all of the circumstances of our life. And one of the things that you will notice is that the word of God doesn't have to be announced as the word of God to be powerful. The word of God does not have to be 
you do not have to blow a trumpet and say, I'm going to read from the scriptures, hear ye, hear ye. You can simply speak the truth from the word of God and the power of God attends that word. And so I want us as a fellowship and here in our community, there is much of a, there is a, a, a need and the need looks something like this. Many of us have been in the battle a long time. Many of us have forgotten that people are not our enemy. Many of us, especially on the conservative side of things, um, have taken at times to studying the word of God, looking for an argument by which we might defeat someone else. And that is not healthy. There are concepts and ideas and principalities and powers that are trying to take us down. But we must remember that that enemy of ours is, is Satan, the old deceiver, and the truth of the word of God will always bring him down. But we are not trying to bring down people. We're trying to rescue people with the sword that God has given us. And so as we have been given the armor of God, so much of it is to protect ourselves. But here is one of the pieces that is given so that we can go into battle to liberate someone else. And in that liberation, we do not want to bring them into a fresh bondage. We want to bring them to full and beautiful freedom where they are free to carry the word of God for themselves and to respond to that. And so I know this is a, a somewhat different approach to speaking about the armor of God than what we have taken in the past, but I thought perhaps with a parable we could apply pieces of it to our own life and we could remember the truth that the word of God needs but to be spoken in order to be effective. We do not have to worry that maybe it won't work and therefore not even bring it in, into the picture. We draw our swords and the king who has given us our swords, the power that he has ordained in them, that power is still effective and it's still working and his purpose was to bring freedom to captives to bring the oil of joy to those who mourn. His purpose was to redeem the sons of God that the creation itself is groaning and waiting for. That is his purpose. And so first of all, I would say, look around yourself and say, am I using the sword that God has given me and am I walking free and am I in a good place or am I in bondage? And if you're in bondage, it might be appropriate to find a few fellow warriors and to take the word of God and to apply it to your own life and to come to that place of freedom. And one of the places that you will, one of the ways you will know when you have a place of freedom is when you examine in your own mind and your impulses, when you look at other people, there will be a true love that flows from you to them. And instead of seeing these other people as being your enemy, you will see them as being captive by the enemy and you will want to rescue them. And so if you're still looking at people and you see them as an enemy, you can know that you are in bondage in some way and you need the freedom that comes. When you are in a complete place of freedom, everywhere you look, you will see with the eyes of the king and you will understand that he wants to free people. He wants to liberate them. And this is the gift that has been given to us that we get, we do not always we're not always able to carry the full freedom and liberty. And so God frees us one step at a time and he's working with you. He wants you to discover each freedom. And he himself, when you come to him and say, I have found this one area, this one person where I still am in bondage, he doesn't say, how could you? 
why are you still in bondage? He says, I know, and I have a solution for you, and I've been waiting to work this out with you, and I have something I want to do. And the God, the king of the universe, the God of his word, this God has given us his word to be applied to each part of our life, and he is not surprised when we are in bondage. He is not surprised. Another form of bondage is if you're finding that you're only looking in the scriptures because you're trying to tell someone else how they must live their life and you're trying to control them. That is a bondage and it is not freedom. Liberty comes when we see everyone for who they are and the fact that each one of us needs to be redeemed and liberated by the king. We're all captives. We're all people of the dark. We all need light. We all need the word of God. We all need that. And this is the offensive weapon that we have been given. But truly, let the word of God do the work and do not think that by you applying it harshly to someone else that you are doing the battle for the Lord. We must be careful, but we must be bold. And so look for freedom in Christ, but look for how do you see others? Do you look at others? Do you see the people around you? And do you see enemies or do you see captives? Because once all the people in your circles, once you see them all, not as enemies, but as captives of the one real enemy that we have, then you will be free to apply the word of God to their lives. When you think they're an enemy, you will be attacking them and trying to kill them. And that is not a good way to rescue a captive. We must see them as captives and be trying to rescue them because the way you use your sword to rescue a captive and the way you use your sword to kill an enemy are two very different things and we don't want to get those two confused. If you haven't done so, I would encourage you to not only read the scripture but to read accounts from times in history, uh, for instance, uh, Russia during the time of the... Um, socialism and, and when the wall was there, the Iron Curtain was up. Um, I read a, an account this week and at first I thought someone had just made it up out of thin air, but at the end it said this book was written by so-and-so who was a member of this um, ministry and she based all the, everything in this book was, was based on a true account of what actually happened in Russia. And the book's name is an old book, it's called Tanya and the Border Guard. And in this particular instance, she and her family were Christian. And she, they were in Russia, and they had been out in the back. And as they were out in the woods at a secret meeting, three police officers showed up, border guards, and they were very concerned. But these three border guards said, oh, no, we are believers too. And so there was quite a bit of distrust because you're wearing the uniform and you're in our secret meeting. Are you going to be an informer? However the young girl, Tanya, she just knew one thing. She knew that years ago, her family had a Bible and right now they didn't. And she wanted a Bible for her papa. And so she thought, these are representatives of the state. They have uniforms. They know so much more than we do. They could find us a Bible. And so she being bashful, took her brother with her and they went back to one of them. She said, come with me. And she horrified her brother by asking the border guard for a Bible. And the border guard said, I am so sorry. I, I was hoping you had Bibles. We do not have, I do not have a Bible. And 
she said, but you travel with your work because you're, you wear the uniform. Surely somewhere you could find a Bible. And he hesitated to commit himself, but at the same time, she was pleading with him. So, she, the, so he, the Russian border guard, said, well, yes. Next month, I'm going to Czechoslovakia. So perhaps I could find a Bible for you there. And she said, oh, would you please? And bring it back to us. And he said, but I don't know where you live. Do you trust me enough to give me your address? And she did. She just gave him the address and her brother was horrified. You gave our address. They know we're Christians. They know we want a Bible. And you gave it all to this border guard. And so he's horrified and she realizes he's horrified. So she tells him, don't tell our parents that I did this. And so then within the next two weeks, something miraculously happens and their family gets the visa to go to Czechoslovakia or whatever it was at the time. They get permission to go to Czechoslovakia to visit their grandmother that they hadn't seen in a long time. And so their family is actually leaving and they're on the, on the train and as they're going over, uh, as they're waiting at the train station, the brother looks up and sees the border guard and he is sure that they're being followed. But the father, Papa, he goes over and chats with him and comes back. And, and he, Papa seems to be convinced that the border guard is a believer. But, you know, you can't truly, you have to be so careful. So they're in the train and the young man is just so perturbed with the fact that the border guard is following them. So he tells his parents what had happened, that the, the little girl. And, and so they all were praying. And the, the Papa said, well, that explains it because the guard told me to tell my little, the little sister to keep praying. And so they go off on their vacation. This is just a now a side thing. And meanwhile, over in one of the other countries, I think coming from Switzerland, is a couple that is bringing 200 Bibles and they're trying to get into Czechoslovakia. But they're bringing Russian Bibles into Czechoslovakia. And so as they come up to the border guard, to the border, every car is being searched in such great detail. And so as they're sitting there watching the cars being searched in such great detail, they are discussing every story they can remember of how God has blinded border guards' eyes to bring them through. And so they're trying to remember every story that there is. And they're encouraging and they're praying and it's taking sometimes an hour for each car to be searched before it goes through. And they come up closer and they're recalling, you know, sometimes God has brought in a rainstorm and a thunderclap right at the time when the missionary drives up with his load of Bibles. And so they're praying for something and nothing happens. In fact, the, the border guards come out and they open it and they find all these Bibles and they take them in, they put them all on a table and they are really angry. And, and the two are very scared. They've never been arrested before. They've never been caught before. They've had some miracles happen for themselves. But now here they are in a Czechoslovakian point, border point. And, and the Czechoslovakian said, and what is worse is that not only have you brought Bibles, but these are Russian Bibles. And so the, the, the missionary was trying to find things to say or do. And finally, the, the Czechoslovakian guard was, I am going to bring my supervisor here and show him what you've done. And the supervisor is a Russian border guard who has just recently arrived from Russia. And he walks in and he asks a few questions and he says, so in Czechoslovakia, is there a law about bringing in Russian Bibles? 
And the border guard said, no, there isn't. Well, then why are you so angry? They haven't broken the law. Well, they're Bibles, and we have a law against Czechoslovakian Bibles. Well, but it's not a, it's, it's, and so in the end, the border guard convinces the Czechoslovakian, or the supervisor convinces the Czechoslovakian border guard that there's going to be quite a, that it would be quite a joke to play to just let them go on through with the Bibles. And so he doesn't understand it, and, the, and they load the Bibles back up, and they're headed out, and the wife has their passports and stuff, and as she brings them in, a note falls out. And it's from the supervisor. He says, I am a believer, and I need two of these Bibles. Could you meet me? And he gives the time and the date. And so they are looking at it going, well, God just brought us in here, so we better believe that he's a believer. So they meet him at the castle. And while they're at the castle where they meet him and they slip the two Bibles over to the border guard, the border guard turns around and runs into the family of Tanya and her as they're out on a, an excursion. And he says, God has answered your prayers. Come with me. And he takes them back to a secret place, gives them their Bible, and then they both go back out of their way. The power of God's word is not just about written words on a page. The king of the universe actually cares for the word of God. You and I, you know, I have the, the, the row of Bibles at home on my bookshelf, and I have a little chest of Bibles up on my piano. I, there, there's Bibles everywhere. I have multiple Bible apps on my phone. I have such access to the word of God that it seems really odd to me to think that there might be a time and a place where people don't have access to the word of God. And yet, it happens all the time. It's happening in China right now. The first doctor who called out the coronavirus is, from the reports I've heard, he was a believer. And he's died since then of that, of the virus. Um, but the, the reality is that this word of God is so precious to us because there is something about this that is more than just words printed on a page. It, there is the spirit of the living God is with us and he wants to walk with us, and he walks with his word. And so it is, it is truly important for us to understand that when we're speaking of the scriptures, we're not just speaking about a vestige of the past. We're not just speaking about a tradition of the past, but when we're speaking and we allow the word of God to come into our daily conversation, that that means we are drawing the sword of the living God, and it is going to be powerful and effective. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Father, this morning in the name of Jesus, we do want to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Lord, teach us how to carry it well, to use it effectively. Let your word rule in our hearts and in our minds. Father, thank you for equipping us with this strong weapon. And Lord, teach us how to bring liberation to captives and not to destroy those whom you died for. Lord, we love you. I thank you for this day. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.